Well, good morning. Glad to be here. It's been a while. Uh, Pastor Justin called me uh, on Monday and said, it looks like I'm sick. Uh, He says, I can't taste or smell very much. He said, just in case, would you be willing to fill in? Well, it says in scripture, preach the word in season or out of season. So I said, sure. And then he said to me, he says, well, but I need you to focus on Romans chapter 12. And then I thought, yeah, but I did a sermon last week, and if I could just simply do that sermon again, I wouldn't have to work very hard. And being retired, I mean, who wants to work very hard? Anyway, see, I said, you know what? I probably have a sermon on Romans chapter 12 someplace. So I dove into a file and discovered I didn't like any one of them. And then I thought, oh, now I have to work really hard because now I have to do first things. But I've been blessed by it, and I hope that you can be blessed by it as well. In Romans chapter 12, you see a structural expression. You have been looking at the book of Romans, and no doubt you have seen that it has a structure. In the early part, it talks about the reality of our sin and that we in our sinfulness suppress the truth. But that God has come to us through his word, and particularly in his son, Jesus Christ, and that God has republished the truth and confronted us with who we are and confronted us with the need for a savior. And then at the end of chapter 11, there is this celebration for from him and through him and unto him are all things, to God alone be the glory. And then there is this little word of transition in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual worship. And the whole idea of sacrifice can be summarized in this phrase, you have to be all in. You have to give of yourself totally and completely. And then it begins in verse 9 with a whole series of commandments, with a whole series of obligations. Love must be sincere. Or if you like another word, love must be genuine. In other words, no hypocrisy allowed. You're not allowed to say one thing and do another. Jesus, and cadets will know this, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It doesn't say, if you love me, you will keep my suggestions. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now take a look at what it says in Romans chapter 12, the verses 9 and following. Love must be sincere. That's the first commandment. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn 
with those who mourn. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think yourself, do not think you are superior. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, this is the word of the Lord. Now, notice what he says. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And then if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And then take a look at what the Heidelberg Catechism in question and answer 126 says. What does the fifth request mean? And the fifth request is, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors because of Christ's blood. Do not hold against us, poor sinners that we are, any, we need to go back there, Brandon, any of the sins that we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. And here, take a look. Forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors. Just take a look at that one again. Forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors. Determination has to be a feature of Christian discipleship. Determination it has a steady focus an ongoing commitment to get it right. In 2008, a book was published called The Outliers, and the author of that book looked at a whole bunch of evidence out of our community and began to recognize this truth. Skilled people are made. They are not born. Skilled people are made, they are not born. Just this morning, I, I caught a clip on YouTube of a violinist at the Seattle Symphony Orchestra playing Tchaikovsky last night. And he was standing there just playing away, and all of a sudden, a string on his violin broke. And he turned to the violinist next to him, seated, took that violin, and without missing where he had to be in the music, continued, and everybody clapped. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube if you'd be interested in watching that. But you see, skilled people are made. They are not born. Mature Christians grow. They just don't fall out of the sky. 
And Paul says we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. We are to grow. I saw a sign not so long ago in a, in a store. It said, change is inevitable. Growth is a choice. And I think that's true. Change is inevitable. Just take a look at a picture of yourself from 10 years ago. If Ron and Helena look at a picture of their wedding 35 years ago, they'll probably notice that they've aged a little bit over the last 35 years. Girth maybe a little bit more. Well, maybe not, but you know, things, things change with our lives and with our realities. Hair that once was black is now silver. Skin that once was taut is now wrinkly. Change is inevitable. But growth, maturity, development of skill, that is a choice. And so the Apostle Paul writes to us, and he says to us, love must be sincere. Love must be genuine. It has to be the real thing. It demands that we are all in with everyone. And then the catechism focuses on how we can express that love by a choice, by determination to grow in maturity. In that book, The Outliers, the studies show that if you want to become really, really, really skilled at something, whether that's playing a piano or a guitar, it takes 10,000 hours of right practice to become really, really, really skilled. And if you put that in modern, everyday terms, a 40-hour work week is sort of considered a full-time job. 10,000 hours represents 4.8 years of a full-time job. It takes that type of determination and effort to grow, to become skilled, to become mature. And so I want to invite you to think about this prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or as much as it is possible, depending on you, live at peace with all. Release the desire for revenge and do that which is good and let God do his job. Well, that's hard. And so I want to invite you to think for a moment about the importance of a word. You can read the Lord's Prayer in a variety of different ways. Some people say, forgive us our sins. Some people say, forgive us our trespasses. Some people say, forgive us our debts. None of those are wrong, but they can all have different layers of meaning. But think about a debt. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us what we owe to another or 
what is owed to us. And when we think of it that way, then we think of it, well, it can't be easy and quick and glib. My mother used to say to me, when I'd say to her, I'm sorry, she said, you know, that is such an easy word. If you are truly sorry, you are going to make up what it is that you have done and you will commit yourself to not doing again that which was wrong. Her words continue to echo in my brain because I think, I believe she was right. As much as it depends on me, I have to be at peace with others. And that means that forgiveness has to become a habit. The Apostle Peter, you can read about this in Matthew chapter 18, comes to Jesus and says, Now, Lord, how often should I forgive? Seven times? That seems like a lot. Seven times I should forgive? And Jesus turns it around and says, No, you ought to forgive 77 times. Oh, and there's a variant reading for that which says you ought to forgive 70 times, 7 times, or 490 times, and by that time, forgiveness becomes a habit. Forgiveness becomes sort of the way in which you generally do things. You do not hold grudges. You let go and let God avenge. Not you. Well, that's hard work. It is hard work to expect that I should not collect what you owe to me or that you should not collect what I owe to you. That demands sacrifice. That demands that we recognize the cost that comes with forgiveness. When you have done something wrong to another person, you have grievously hurt that person, and that person has every right to cut ties with you and to leave. But love keeps you involved in the orbit of people. Frederick Buchner, in one of the things that he writes about forgiveness, says both the offender and the offended, both sides of the equation, have to swallow the same thing. They have to swallow their pride. They have to come to this level of understanding and maturity that says... If I want to live with unforgiveness, what I am choosing to do is I am choosing to poison the relationships that I have because I am indignant towards someone. They have offended me so grievously. They have hurt me so deeply that I cannot and will never forgive. They owe me too much. 
In that reference to Matthew 18, Jesus follows up his teaching to Peter about, you know, forgiving 77 times or 70 times seven times with a parable. A parable about a rich man who owed a great debt to the king. If you put it in modern terms, he owed about $6 billion. That's the type of debt only governments run up. And then there was this other person who owed the debtor to the king about $12,000. The king forgave the $6 billion. But the other guy wouldn't forgive the 12,000. And the point is, recognize how much you are to be forgiven for as you stand reluctant to forgive others and be ready to swallow your pride. Be ready to let go of your indignation. Be ready to let go of your bitterness. Be ready to let go of your hurt. Because if you do not, the impact of unforgiveness is ongoing alienation and stress and a lack of fervor, desire for life because it becomes the identifying point of your life. You'll become to be seen as angry and mad and intolerant. And ways in which we deal with that? Well, we deny it. No, I'm not. No, I'm not angry. No, I'm not mad. No, I'm not intolerant. Oh, yes, you are. Or you shift the blame. I ran into a, a couple one time, and there had been a break in their marriage. She had committed adultery on her husband, and they were trying to stitch it back together. And she said to her husband, you should just forgive me. And he says, I'm struggling with it. And she said to him, you're just too sensitive. And now the problem became his problem because he was too sensitive. Think about that for a moment, how we play with forgiveness, how we think about debt. I had a parishioner at one point who who wasn't a good, very good money manager, and what happened was she ran up a, a total debt on a credit card and thought, I can never get out of doing this. So you know what happened? She took another credit card and paid the one debt with the other credit card. And she thought, wow, I'm free of the debt to that credit card. But now the credit card B, it was maxed out, she couldn't use any more. She needed to buy groceries. So now she started buying groceries again on credit card A. And pretty soon she was maxed out on both. At that point, it was about 18% interest on cash, cash, cash advantages or advances. And now there was a problem because she could not live responsibly. The solution for her was she had a count of her credit cards and no longer live in that way. All of us need to make hard decisions. But you, will you forgive? Uh, Nelson Mandela put it this way. He says, hate is drinking a poison and expecting the other person to die from it. When we nurture hate within ourselves, 
We drink a poison and expect the person we hate to die, but we build a prison for ourselves. So what's the answer? Well, notice what Paul says. Love, love, be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. If you need to have an idea of what it means to have sincere love, just look at the person of Jesus, who while he was being crucified on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. He sought the Father to release them. And so instead of hanging on to indignation and anger and bitterness and playing games with ourselves, we are given the opportunity and the choice to release our hurt and bitterness and anger into the hands of the Father and saying to the Father, you deal with it. And the Father says, that's fine, because vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But we don't like doing that very much. You know why? Because the Father doesn't respond on our timetable. He will make us wait. And when we wait, we are forced to grow. One of the fruit portions of the Holy Spirit is patience to let God have his way in his time and in his good intent. And so we need to mature. We need to hear this. Love must be sincere. And remember, I think I've said this to you before, and I have to remind myself of it all the time. Love is not a feeling in this case. Love is a decision. I will do what is right. I will wait for the wrath of God to be extended in his way, in his time. And I will allow myself to be released from the prison of my own making. Skilled people are made. They are not born. Mature people come as a result of the, the habits of discipleship, of doing what God wants us to do in his way. Remember, his commandments are not suggestions. They are commandments. And we are, to ex we are expected to walk in his way. But skilled people have to practice in the right way. I've often discovered that if you have a job to do, it is a lot easier if you have uh, the right tool in your toolbox. So I want to just show you something uh, that has been a blessing to me over the years. Think of a four-leaf clover and then maybe draw some uh, elements of uh, truth into it. If you put at the root of a four-leaf clover the words harmony and happiness, then you get this desire uh, to, okay, then you get this desire to do what is right. You want to live in harmony. As much as it depends on you, 
Be at peace with all. So let me ask you this question. What robbed you of harmony? And what often robs us of harmony is the reality of hurt. We get hurt. We get hurt when somebody cuts us off in traffic and we lean on the horn and we say, stupid guy. We get hurt when somebody blames us for that which we do not do. We get hurt when we are betrayed. We get hurt when we are brutalized. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, sexually, we get hurt. And when we get hurt, we hate. We hate what is done to us. That's a very common response. And we go, mm, I want to get even. I want to deal with this person. What happens, though, is that when I hurt you and you hate me because of it, you say, I'm going to hurt him back. I will take vengeance. I will repay. And so the hurt that leads to a hate leads now to a hurt that's backwards, that comes to me. Okay, and the reality is, is that when that happens, you see, I need to have that picked, there you go. When that happens, you see that it, it just spirals downward into what I would call a feud. And notice that we put a tombstone and some handcuffs at the back of that because police officers will affirm this if you talk to any one of them. They will tell you that one of the most precarious places for they, them to go into at any time is into a domestic or family dispute. And that most people who get murdered, get murdered by a family member or a close friend with whom they are very angry. And so when the hate goes off the chart and we live in this descending spiral, all sorts of evil and bad things happen. Of course, we don't want to go off that spiral. God doesn't want to go off, have us go off that either. And so what do we do in response to having a real sense of hate? Well, we should in health move towards a hearing. Remember in South Africa when apartheid ended, they had what was called this Truth and Reconciliation Commission. We've had that in our own country with the whole issue of indigenous peoples and aboriginal rights. To be heard is to hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. To be forgiven is possible because truth is told and responsibility is taken if I owe you a debt. I take responsibility for that debt. If you owe me a debt, you take responsibility for that debt. You are determined to set the record straight. And when that happens, you can move from hurt to healing. And then you can move all the way back to harmony and happiness. And we say, well, that sounds way too much like psychology to me. 
And so let me invite you to think about it this way. Um, let it think, and I'll go back to the other slide in a minute. Let me think in a bunch of S's. Instead of happiness and harmony, think about the word shalom, peace. Instead of hurt, think about sin. Instead of hate, think about the hate or sinful nature. I am prone by my very nature, the Catechism teaches, to hate God and my neighbor. Instead of a hearing, think about salvation or the applying of salve, a stopping of the hurt because, and we'll sing about that, because Jesus paid it all. And instead of a healing, think about sanctification, which the Catechism defines as the ongoing work of God's people where we grow in maturity in Jesus Christ. It is not a completed action. It is ongoing work. If I can use Ron and Helena again, you know, 35 years ago, they said to each other, I do. And they were married. It was all instant and done. And the pastor or the officiant signed the papers and they exchanged rings and they gave each other a kiss and they had celebration. And after that, they have been working at their marriage ever since. One event, ongoing work. In Christ, one event, we are forgiven. We have to learn to be forgiving. And now let me go back to this big thing. You see the small circle, you know, the downward spiral. People who refuse to listen to Jesus live in a small, destructive circle identified as a feud. They are filled with hate. They are filled with indignation. And it grows like a cancer. And it spreads itself to a the relationships you have all across the board. People who live in the bigger, the green, the healthier circle are people who recognize, yep, I do get hurt. And I do hurt other people. I recognize that. I understand that. That happens all the time. And so we are taught to daily pray, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our debt. Forgive us our trespasses. It happens all the time. And people who, who sin create a response. I don't like what you did to me. As a matter of fact, I hate what you did to me. And now I have to make a choice. Because I hate what you did to me, am I now going to deal with what you did? Or am I going to start to hate you? and try to wreck revenge on you as best as I can? Or will I release it into the hands of God who understands better than I ever will and who loves justice and who loves righteousness and who will set the record straight? And when you make that choice, then you can move back into the reality of healing. When you can go to the one whom you have hurt and say, I owe you this, and I will make it right. Or you can say, you owe me this, and I am asking you to make it right. And then you can come to the reality of shalom and healing 
and well-being. And let me ask you this. If you are in Christ, isn't that really what you want? We sang, this is his kingdom. This is where his will is to be done. Not only superficially, but thoroughly and deeply and completely. Because Jesus, who paid it all, is not only my Savior, but he is my Lord. And he says, do my will. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Let's pray. Our Father and God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that it confronts us with to present ourselves as a living sacrifice to you. We pray that we may be all in, that we may strive always for harmony between ourselves and you, between ourselves and ourselves, between ourselves and each other, and between ourselves and this creation in which you have placed us. We recognize it is hard work, but we pray that we may not step back, but that we may always step forward, that we may always strive to please you in all that we do. So fill us with your spirit. Hear our prayer. We humbly ask it in Jesus' name.